It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Ladies and gentlemen, we're taking the podcast on the road this season. We want you to come with us. We're heading to Tampa. We're heading to Nashville. We're heading to New Orleans and maybe a couple other surprises. Thanks to fansofphilly.com. That's P-H-A-N-S, fansofphilly.com. They put all the packages together for us. We're going to hit the road. Set it and forget it. Four-star hotels, direct flights, tickets to the game, tailgates, pregame festivities, and can be a part of our show's as we're there the whole weekend, wherever we are going. Fansofphilly.com. Make sure you use the code BGN so we all stick together and come have fun with us as we cheer on our Super Bowl champion, Philadelphia Eagles, and take over every stadium that we are in this season. Fansofphilly.com. Promo code BGN. Michael Kiss. Hey, somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball in a hand. And Benjamin Solak. I know it's a big night when he asked for honey. He said he wants honey. It's the Kiston Solak Show. I love those guys. Right here on BGN Radio. Fly, Eagles, fly, and welcome into the Kissed and Solak Show, episode 45, brought to you by the fine folks at BGN Radio. I am your host, Michael Kist, and Master of Ceremony. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. I write for InsideThePylon.com, BleedingGreenNation.com. As always, there's a reason they call him the best doggone co-host in the game. He is Benjamin Solak of Bleeding Green Nation. Also, NDT Scouting, which will be transitioning into something new and cool that I don't know about yet because Ben won't share any secrets with me. August 6, 2018. August 6 is when the big news drops, and we'll find out. And also, remember to follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He's a cheery tweet. He's a much more positive Twitter follow than I am. I put my followers through a form of a gogi during the summer. Ben is much more pleasant. With his, he's had eight years without a bad day. So, I mean, of, of course, he's going to be a, a happy gent. Ben, how you doing, brother? Uh, you are flying high on the Kiss and Solak <laughs> show. Shout out to Darwin, our boy Darwin. Missed the intro, and so I brought it back for him real quick. Nice. It's true, we're trying out different intros because you are flying high made a lot more sense with our old podcast name yeah. uh, when we were the Lockdown Eagles podcast. And just you are flying high with the Kiss and Solak show. Gives the show perhaps a connotation as far as recreational drug use that isn't necessarily top shelf. <laughs> so we've been, we've been workshopping different uh, different intros, but it's okay. It's a throwback for that. I'm well, man. Obviously, stuff's fantastic. I'm about to. Uh, I've got vacation coming up this week. That should be nice. I'm gonna sit by a lake and read a book and not see anything on the internet. And boy, oh boy, am I thrilled. 
Uh, so that's what's waiting for me. It's a good week. That sounds that sounds really good. What about this intro, Ben? You are dead in a basement on the Kisten Solak show. No, no, <laughs> that's too much. Oh man! When you say that Janoris Jenkins is a a lockdown man to man corner that can body the larger receivers of the NFL, uh, sometimes you worry about bodies he might have locked underneath in his basement. Um, <laughs> Oh, man, you open up the internet and you go, crazy things have happened. We're probably done with them today. And then the TMZ report, there's someone dead in Janoris Jenkins' basement. On on the very same day, I don't know if you saw this, yeah. there was a dead body in like the walk-in freezer in the Atlanta Brave Stadium. What's happening? Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a big day for corpses. Uh, but to get into the Janoris <laughs> Jenkins thing. Uh, so TMZ reported, as we said, that there was a dead body found by a worker uh, at the house in his basement. There was an investigation into a homicide, which looked like a suffocation slash strangulation. Uh, I guess I just, just should just throw allegedly out there for all of this, just to cover our butts. All of this is alleged. But it looks like that Janoris Jenkins, who after mini camp on June 14th ended, went down to Florida. His brother is now being indicted uh, for homicide charges because he was at the house. Apparently, other family members stayed there, like up to six of them or something like that. Ben, this is this is wild. Like, okay, number one, there's a dead person. That's terrible. Uh, you know, we, we might make jokes and mess around or whatnot. That's bad news, bears. Uh, no matter which way you slice it. Number two, huge distraction for Janoris Jenkins coming into the season and for the Giants in general. This is this is just, I don't even know what to do with this news. When I was tasked with writing the story for Bleeding Green Nation, I was like, okay, let's really take it down a notch, make sure what we're saying is accurate, make sure we're citing our sources, make sure we're not passing any judgment. But Ben, this, this is uh, bad news for a division rival in the Giants. Right. It's funny because we talk about a lot of off-field things and they get like, categorized as distractions. And we go, it's not like really a distraction. Like, calm down. You're trying to make news out of nothing. I would say this is probably a distraction for, sure. for Janoris Jenkins because it doesn't get worse than there being a dead body in your house, I don't think. That's disruptive to say the very least i'm trying to think of something that would be worse than that and i and i can't really the only thing that would be worse if janoris jenkins was actually in town when it happened because then he would be like a prime yeah. suspect but yeah I mean, his brother like golly man that'd be like you getting indicted on on charges like for me hi because we're brothers <laughs> so this story is obviously going to take some twists and turns as we find out what went on uh, again, dead body found in Janoris Jenkins' basement. His brother has been brought in. Suffocation slash strangulation is what they were looking at as far as a homicide. And we will keep you posted on bleedinggreennation.com on all the developments on that. Moving on to less uh, depressing news. Danelle Hunter from the Minnesota. This is such a weird transition, Ben. I don't even know how to do this. I'm just going to charge yeah. through it. No, I thought that very graceful, Mike. Very graceful. <laughs> that was terrible. Danelle Hunter from the Minnesota Vikings has a brand new bag. And Ben, do you want to tell the gentle listeners what the Minnesota Vikings have shelled out to the young edge pass rusher? Yeah, so Vikings in a weird spot. Obviously, you hit uh, you know, the three-year $84 million deal for Kirk Cousins in the offseason, which, by the way, did you see the van that Kirk Cousins is still driving with $84 million guaranteed in his pocket? No, I haven't. Is it? Is it a... I'm trying to get Bang Energy to sponsor us, so the immediate thing that I had in my head was Bang Bus. But go ahead, Ben. Like it's 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 like a white creeper van, except it's tan, and that's pretty much the only difference. 
and he's just and it's and it's clear that like time and money has been put into this car because it's like nice looking on the outside like it's well you know it looks like a healthy vehicle but he's had it forever and he's still driving it man you made 84 million dollars you're allowed to buy yourself a vehicle like you could stop there's no reason There's no exactly like oh yes, Kirk, you're very humble. Oh look at you with you know your roots and everything. (laughs) Buy yourself a vehicle. Thank you. Anyway, uh, they gave her cousins the big money, and now they're in a a cap situation where they've got to figure out. uh, Danelle Hunter, Stephon Diggs, and Anthony Barr all were guys who were potentially free agents after this season. Hunter, highest impact position. Uh, and also probably the best deal of the three because he's so young, only 23 years old, uh, signing a second contract. Uh, at least $72 million over five years, which would be 14.4 per. Uh, it will take him into his age 28 season, uh, which you can still sign a second contract then and, yeah. you know, be making money. So good situation for Donnell. Uh, up to $78 million in incentives, which probably tied to sack totals. Hunter has put out uh, 28 and a half sacks over his three seasons so far in the league. One of those seasons, uh, 2016, he had 12.5, so he broke the double-digit mark. Uh, and then at least $40 million guaranteed. So $40 million over five years guaranteed, 8 mil guaranteed per year. That's solid money. Uh, that, that, that's good money for Daniel Hunter. That's solid money, and you have to think that that type of contract is going to have an impact on what Brandon Graham seeks in the market here in the future. Ben, I know you had some thoughts mm-hmm. on that topic. You want to elaborate on that? Spark notes. This is good news for Harry Roseman. This is bad news for Brandon Graham right. because it, it, it's considered by a lot of people, myself included, that Hunter could have made more. Mm-hmm. It is rare that a, because Hunter came into the league very, very young, and it's rare for a player, especially at, at edge, 23 years old. Yeah. Entering his phys- you know physical prime, young mid twenties, right? For him to enter the market already having had a double digit sack season, yeah, that is that's highly irregular. Most guys are coming into their rookie year, right? There's very little precedence for that, and so uh, I'm putting myself in Danelle Hunter's agent's shoes, and I'm thinking, all right, I can really you know sell this whole. He's going to be young. He's going to be a, a prime pass rusher. He's established. He knows what he's doing. He had the twelve and a half sack season. He's averaging eight and a half sacks per season. You know, he's he can do this. Uh, you know, we really we we deserve some top edge money. This is technically about the twelfth, thirteenth uh, biggest edge contract on the market, and I would have uh, very much. And, and it's lower than Everson Griffin, yeah, who's on the same team. I would have expected him to get higher than Griffin for sure. And so this fourteen point four million per is the interesting figure because when Brandon Graham and and Howie Roseman sit down, Howie's going to turn to to Graham's camp and say, "Listen, you have never broken double digit sacks." You're, the most sacks you've had a season is 9.5. Hunter averaged 8.5. Mm. Hunter is going to turn 24. You're going to turn 31. Yeah, do the math. <laughs> you, you you have not been as productive on a per-season basis, and you're older. Wow. So we're, we're not even talking about that contract as a baseline now. Like, that's not even, all right, this was the most recent edge contract. This office term. No, no, no. That's like a next tier that you're not in. Yeah. Right? And so uh, uh, Graham, who's a guy who's playing on, on a roughly, I think, $8 million extension or $9 million, I forget how much his bonuses, you know, uh, escalated his contract. He can't... I would be shocked if he's looking at more than 12 mil per year. Yeah. And I'd be shocked if he gets anywhere near... I, I'd be, I, I would expect a three-year deal. Yeah. That's what I would expect. We're, you know, we're talking this episode. Our, our topic is... What does success look like for blank? You know, what does success look like for the Eagles? What does success look like for the offense? What does success look like for Brandon Graham? Graham clearly has to break 10 sacks. Mm. That absolutely has to happen uh, for success for Brandon Graham. But the other thing that, that Graham needs for a successful season this season, just him personally, obviously, if you ask Graham, what does success mean to you? It's repeating the Super Bowl, whatever. But for just him and his camp, 
he's going to have to break 10 sacks, number one. And number two, Derek Barnett, Josh Sweat, and Stephen Means slash Joe Osman, whoever the young guys are in that edge group who Philadelphia's going to keep on the roster. Definitely Barnett, definitely Sweat, and then Osman slash Means, probably Means coming out of camp. We don't really know. Hmm. He needs all of them to not look like the future <laughs> if he's going to try to get any sort of money out of Philadelphia. Because here's the reality is that maybe Graham's able to get an $11 million per contract over three years. But if Sweat and Barnett look good, it ain't coming from Philly. Mm-hmm. And he means so much to this city, but it's not coming from a team that's got to sign Carson Wentz to an extension. It can't happen. Yeah. He's going to be over 30. He, it, it, it's not going to be the case. So Brandon Graham's, uh, what, you know, what's in his control, what he can handle this upcoming season, he has to break 10 sacks. He absolutely has to break 10 sacks. I mean, so his past seasons, I believe 2016, it was 6.5 sacks. And then 2017, it was 9.5. So we're, we're like, you know, as a three sack increase in your age 29 season, I don't have the numbers in front of me. Excuse me. It went 6.5 in 2015, 5.5 2016, 9.5 2017. Mm -hmm. So big jump up from really what his average has been. He's usually been a six, seven sack guy. So if he comes back down to six sacks, and that 9.5 season looks like an aberration. He's not breaking 10 mil yeah. from any team. Yeah. And 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 we know he wants money. We know he wants a bag. And so, you know, Graham seriously needs that 10-sack season badly this upcoming year. So that would be a success for Brandon Graham. I agree. I mean, at this point, you can't, as Brandon Graham, like point at something as ridiculous as the 17.5 mil per year contract for Olivier Vernon, who he's uh, very underperforming uh, with that contract, and go, that's the kind of money I want. No, young edge rushers that are 23 are getting paid like a lot less than that. That's crazy to me. It's really amazing. And I'm pretty sure it was Jason of Over the Cap who said this. Nobody has been able to come up against that that Vernon contract. Yeah. No, no, no team, no, no group like Vaughn Miller, Khalil Mack. Nobody has been able to get at that contract. Nobody's really been able to attack that. I mean, okay, so Miller, Miller, Miller went above it, and then Ansa and Lawrence on tags yeah. are above it, and then Olivia Vernon is still the fourth highest <laughs> in terms of average per year edge contract, and Vernon has been bad. Yeah. He has not been good. It's amazing that that's like a ceiling right now that literally nobody but Von Miller has been able to break. Yeah. Uh, I feel the same way kind of about the uh, the Jarvis Landry contract. It's it's going to be like that for a lot of people. Jarvis Landry's big contract that he got from the Browns for being the, the PPR check down queen. Uh, speaking of Jarvis Landry and speaking of contracts with Danelle Hunter, Danelle Hunter's agent is Zeke Sandu of Elite Athlete Management. And he is also the agent of Odell Beckham Jr., who currently is like the 20th highest paid receiver because he's on his fifth year option as a rookie. And if I were Zeke Sandu, if he can get a new deal for Hunter, even though it's not the best deal, uh, instead of working on that option with Odell, and I put this story up on BleedingGreenNation.com as well, I would, if I were Odell Beckham Jr., I would 1000% hold out. Or at least get the Giants to agree to commit to serious contract talks. And then I'll be serious about coming to camp. Because those two commitments need to happen together. For If I'm Odell and I've missed uh, uh, most of a season with an ankle injury and you know my career can end at any moment. I'm getting paid, what, eight and a half? I'm getting paid what Kelvin Benjamin is getting paid. That's a terrible deal. It's a fifth-year option. It's not like Julio who wants more money and he's got three years left on his deal. I understand the leverage that the Falcons have there. The Giants have leverage in the way that they have Beckham sign and they can franchise tag him after, but they don't have leverage in the fact that Odell can hold out 
all preseason, lose 3.2 mil, get a new contract, and come out in the black. And they also know that they cannot make this run with Eli this year without Odell Beckham Jr. His yards per attempt drop. That was exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 so clear. The yards per attempt dropped a full yard and a half. That's terrible. That's going from below average to Joe Flacco level in a heartbeat with one player. And that's what Odell means to this offense. And if I'm Zeke Zandu of Elite Athlete Management, I am throwing that stat in the face of management and saying, pay my guy now. This is ridiculous. Have you heard of Kelvin Benjamin? Have you seen him play? Let me put some tape on for you. Let me put some stats on for you. This is this is who is making as much money as my client. Nobody. I, we've talked about Earl Thomas as a potential holdout. We've talked about Aaron Donald as a potential holdout. Nobody in the league has more power in a holdout, in my opinion, than Odell Beckham Jr. Mm-hmm. Because that offense without Odell <laughs> is going to look so bad. Yeah. Because if... You can rotate a safety into the box and play single high because you can play man coverage on Sterling Shepard. He's he's a good slot. Yeah. You can play man on him. You can play man on Evan Ingram, and you're loading the box against Barkley. And all of a sudden, the New York Giants, who picked a running back at two, all of their fans are watching that running back play very poorly because there's a stacked box against him, and no running back beats a stacked box. And watches Eli Manning also look like garbage because Odell's not on the field. The amount of pressure that goes on that front office and that coaching staff Insane. from New York, from New York, yeah. like, will be off the charts. Like, no Beckham. Okay, wait. I'm going to ask the producers to pull up who the Giants play the first, like, two weeks of the season. Because if we're just, like, they have the Jaguars the first They're oh, yeah. going to four pick six if there's no Odell. Yep. They have the Jaguars week one. <laughs> One of the toughest defenses in the NFL, and along with that yard and a half that he lost per attempt, he also lost 12 points off his completion percentage. 12 points, man. No way. 12 full. That's not true. First four game, 69.5% completion percentage, 6.75 yards per attempt. 11 games without Odell, 57.9%. Mike, that's one out of every eight throws. (laughs) So, like, if you're throwing the ball 30 times a game, that's roughly four completions. Yeah. That's absurd. That's that's crazy. His quarterback rating drops 15 points without Odell last season. That's bonkers. How how, how (laughs) is he not? That's such garbage. He said he's coming to camp, and there are reports out of New York that, that, that are saying that he's going to hold out. I would think, and, and I'm normally on the athlete side of this, go get paid, get your money and whatnot. Odell's situation... Is he has so so much leverage? He would I would question him much more than any other off field incident that he's had. I would question him and and his his intelligence if he does not hold out. It's a slam dunk holdout situation. Period. You. Pay I mean, I'm not gonna go that far because I think. Letting videos get posted of you doing drugs in a bed with pizza is now, really dumb. Now, he wasn't doing the drugs, and I think those – and I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to say that those drugs were for the ladies. And obviously, also, he has to – you know, whatever his camp says for him, like, you know, there's more to consider there. Also, he went on a boat once, which was such a bad decision for <laughs> – I forget why. That was a really bad decision, but apparently that was awful. But anyway, we are so far left, oh, yeah. and it was a good left, but we should bring it back. Okay, so question for you. What does success look like for who you got? What, what are we talking about? Let, let's go for the season right now. We'll go on a macro level. So we'll look at, at, at the team's okay. success. So before we get to the ultimate question of what a Super Bowl season be a success, we'll kind of work our way into it. Uh, this season obviously is not a success if they, for instance, let's just call it a losing record, no way. Like no, no chance. 
Uh, nine and seven, missed the playoffs. Not a success in my eyes. You have to make the playoffs. Mike, Mike we're, we're, we, we're at the point where if this team does not make it to the back to the Super Bowl, it shouldn't be considered a successful season. Like, that's what I'm saying. I'm getting there, Ben. I was climbing yeah. the stairs. Well, I'm just saying there's no reason to talk about 10 and 6 for this team. Everybody knows 10 and 6 is a failure. I was building up for, for a whole thing in a, in a moment. and <laughs> Here's what I'm saying is that everybody knows the ending of this movie. There's no moment. <laughs> so, so, okay, Ben, you think that if the, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles, get to the conference championship game, and come up just a little bit short that that season is not a success on the whole. Because I think there's a real argument there for uh, the continued contending and being a serious contender. I think there's something there with that. It's very, very hard to go back to the Super Bowl, as we know. No, I, absolutely. And, and and the thing about being a continuous contender is that the only reason being a continuous contender is a palatable like thing, is something that you can deal with and you can bear is that it means you're always within range of the super bowl so maybe next year's the year Mm. right that's that's the implicit positive behind being a contender you know let's ask a 2002 eagles fan who went to four straight nfc championships (laughs) and lost how happy they are about being a continuous contender but you're not but you're not snake bitten in this case because you've already been to the mountaintop it's not like god man we're just we're just always the bridesmaid you know what i mean because i lived through those through those years and it was a constant it was a constant feeling of man we're gonna it's just something's gonna go wrong this season and we're gonna get boned and then you start to believe in it and then you get to the nfc championship game and you believe that this is the year and they screw it up again and it's just absolutely crushing because we haven't experienced that height yet. I think if they get to the NFC Championship game and, God forbid, they lose, depending on how the season went and how uh, – I think that that's a success. Now, do I think that it's a bad thing that they miss out on a Super Bowl trophy in a year where they have a quarterback on a rookie contract, which are the major windows in the NFL. That's that's where you have to kind of exploit that window to make your big runs is when your quarterback is on a rookie contract. Is that a bad thing? Yeah, I think that makes it worse. So it would be a success, but it would be a bad thing. That's what you're trying to convince me with right now. Uh, I'm trying to. I'm actually trying to work through it out loud. Is what's happening here because I haven't made my mind up yet. Yeah, make your case. Right, and and, and I and I acknowledge that. There's obviously a marked difference between, you know, getting knocked out in the wild card round and, and losing a conference championship in like a really tight game with right. like a bad refereeing mistake in the fourth quarter that ended up, you know, tipping the scales. Because that's the only way we're going to lose. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Obviously, there's an emotive difference there. I'm not disputing that whatsoever. But to me, you just brought a championship to the city. Obviously, the first one is big. First one for the franchise. You even did it with, with a different quarterback, right? You did it with, 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 Nick Foles and so you bring him now you got Carson he's the guy to widen the 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 scope of what it is to be successful to encompass you know some mitigating concerns and some factors while that does acknowledge the inevitable variance of the NFL that may strike all the best teams to me it, it's it's just silly I just dragged Minnesota fans for months man <laughs> Like I'm not much of like a of a trash talker, as we all know. I'm not much one of a gloater. But with Vikings fans, like yeah. I took them through the muck gleefully. And the only reason I did that was not because we won the Super Bowl, 
but because I think we're going to beat the Vikings in the Super Bowl for the next 15 years straight. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's the implication there mm. to me. Not so much that, oh, you know, you're on top right now, so you have to say, oh, we were Super Bowl champions, and, and oh, we won the game. Because remember back when we had none of those, how much that bothered us. You get into an argument with Cowboys fans, and yeah. our team had just beat their team. And then they say, well, we've got four rings. And you'd be like, well, nobody gives a hoot. Like, it, it, we just beat you, right? Like, using that previous Super Bowl victory as kind of like a, a trump card is, to me, like, that that was always an empty argument. Maybe because I was an Eagles fan and I needed it to be an empty argument, but it was. The reason I'm, you know, high-stepping isn't because the Eagles won the 2018 Super Bowl. It's because their team looks like it should win the 2019 one as well. Yeah. And that's why I'm ready to peacock. You know what I mean? Not because we won a championship, but because this looks like a dynasty yeah. to me. And so that's why, I, to me, it's, it's obviously like, you know, it's hard to project 2021. But for 2019, 2020, where it looks like the core of this team should reasonably be intact, Super Bowl or bust. They're the best team in the NFC. They're the best roster in the league. Let's do it. Yeah, and that's that's a good point, especially with the Vikings, because you look at that and it wasn't just the team got lucky or, or there was a fluke player at the end. That was total domination of the Minnesota Vikings. And they were completely outclassed, not only on the field, but with the coaches too. I mean, you heard it from the uh, – there's a thing on NFL Game Pass where they have Doug Peterson in there breaking down some film with Baldinger and, and Jaws, and they show a, an audio clip of Xavier Rhodes and he's on the field going man they just they're scheming the f out of us right now like yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's a major advantage over a very good coach Mike Zimmer was a fantastic defensive mind and what Peterson did to that defense was just dirty man that was x-rated so yeah I, I'm with you there that would be a missed opportunity if we couldn't get it done against them uh, obviously you know all the teams that we covered in the eye on the enemy series and you can go back and listen to those uh, the, the Rams would be the one that concerned me as somebody that can stay up with us as far as offensive firepower uh, they have some defensive pieces there a very very attractive team from a talent standpoint we'll see how it all gels together I would say that getting to an NFC championship, in my mind, would be a success because you're not seeing that Super Bowl hangover drop off and then you're coming back with some fire to try and prove yourself and get back up there again. I don't ever want to see this team lose again. I don't ever wish that on anyone. But I'm also saying that it's not Super Bowl or bust because coming into last season, it was not even coming into last season because no one really saw this coming outside of like a fringe element of Philadelphia fans that are always for some reason so positive I'll never understand it uh, especially at that point but coming into the season I can't I can't say that if we don't win the Super Bowl then I'm extremely disappointed and I I think that that's more of a failure to me so maybe we're blurring the lines between success and failure but I think it's a success if you continue to be a top dog contender uh, depending on what happens in the playoffs one and done would disappoint me for sure Getting blown out in a divisional round would disappoint me. Absolutely, that's a failure. Also, getting your door kicked in in an NFC Championship game, now that would disappoint me. If we got blown out like that, that would disappoint me. But if we're a competitive team against the other, against the NFC Super Bowl representative, then I I think I'm totally fine with that. I mean, well, you know, we'll pick up this conversation again, hopefully, (laughs) end of uh, middle of January. 2019 yeah. and we'll see how we feel after the nfc championship game <laughs> uh and how it goes you know it'll be curious to see but this actually i think leads us into a really interesting conversation uh which is going to return bleeding green nation radio's most heralded conversation of the offseason what does success look like for carson wentz mm. and if you were to simply make it a binary situation between what indicates success more for carson remember we're just talking about him as a person him as a player mvp or super bowl win where he plays the game. Super Bowl, period. 
to play and win. That's it. That's success for Carson. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there is no, there is no gray area there. At least the way that I think Carson thinks of things, an MVP trophy, fine. Great. That's cool. I want to win the big one. I want it to be me. I've seen my team do it with me on the sideline. Anything else for Carson is only going to make him work harder. That's the mindset that I feel that he has. Right, he's in such a weird spot yeah. because let's not forget like last season he was on pace for it, 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 you know, like 326 of 540 for over 4,000 yards for over 40 touchdowns and for less than 10 interceptions like that was what his stats look like over 16 games he's the only girl of his friends that aren't married and he's the hottest one like that's what it feels like honestly situation. I don't hate that like <laughs> I like that kind of makes sense to me usually this I don't really get these analogies that one I can dig right and let's let's not forget Brady took you know mvp he had more yardage he had roughly analogous completion percentage and he had less touchdowns and he had less interceptions but his touchdown interception ratio was considerably lower and so you know it was going to be a conversation but really like you know carson in his second season putting up those numbers likely would have you know made him at least the favorite we can say that comfortably so mvp caliber season that gets cut short and then his backup comes has unbelievable stats in the postseason. Crazy. Like, mind-boggling Nick Foles stats. And then wins the Super Bowl, and wins Super Bowl MVP. You're in a weird spot with Carson, a little bit of a vicious circle where you say, okay, well, he's got to come out, and he's got to, you know, be able to win a Super Bowl, and he's got to be able to affirm, you know, that, you know, like, imagine Carson, you know, comes down, he struggles in the playoffs, because we've never seen Carson in a playoff game. Yeah. And now, you know, you're going to get the think pieces about, oh, Nick Foles was the guy, and Nick Foles' peak was better than Carson's peak, and Nick Foles could handle it, da-da-da-da-da. Kill me. Right? <laughs> and then on the on the flip side, you get how much does Nick Foles' performance and how much do Nick Foles' stats not invalidate, but weaken the, the, the statistical argument of Carson's MVP caliber 2017 season. Like, there's so much storyline yeah. around Carson because of how that season ended with Foles especially for every day that Foles stays on the roster (laughs) you know obviously we don't expect Carson to play poorly we don't expect that whatsoever but to be coming back from a major injury to be the starting quarterback of a team that just won the Super Bowl but the Super Bowl MVP is on the bench behind you and maybe you would have been the MVP last season if you stayed healthy yeah but maybe not this is this like there's no it's unprecedented there's no precedent for this and so if you ask Carson, the way Carson thinks about it, yes, success for him is winning the Super Bowl. And I don't dispute that because he didn't win the Super Bowl. And I fall on the Carson is not a Super Bowl winning quarterback side of the debate. But an MVP season would also be a massive success for Carson because for how much credit we want to give Doug Peterson, and I tend to want to give Peterson a load of credit. Yeah. I tend to want to give him a lot. Remember, he was my coach of the year. I thought that that was a more deserving award than Carson for MVP was at the time. Yeah. Every season that Carson can put out where he puts up similar numbers to how we did last season affirms, even if it's still with Peterson, that Carson is a very, very talented quarterback. And Carson is is, is, is behind a lot of these numbers, and it's not just Peterson. Because teams are going to figure out responses to Peterson. Carson's going to have to solve some of those problems. You know, that, that, that's that's the reality. Jim's and Joe's over X's and O's, as Justice Muscato likes to say. Yeah. So, while yes, Super Bowl win is success for Carson, I think it's very important that he also puts out a big statistical season that's in the MVP conversation. I think that he needs to do that. I expect that he will. But I think that that is a big deal for him. Yeah, and that's a bit of a consolation prize for him, too, because factor in, too, he's coming off of major surgery to his knee and getting yeah. past that mentally and being able to perform at the level at which you performed before, after that injury, is a huge, 
success. It, it might not mean a Super Bowl, but just in that like like narrow focus, that's a big success to be able to come back from that. And want to alleviate a lot of a lot of concerns from the fan base and and concerns that me, we might not want to voice, uh, but other people outside of Philadelphia are very happy to voice and equate it to RG three, which is just lazy because I think they're completely you know their mental makeup is completely different. But yeah, so mm-hmm. yeah, being in the MVP conversation would be a personal success for him. Uh, for his career, I, I think I, he needs to go get a Super Bowl, man. Like I, he won't stop until he does. I have complete faith uh, in in his ability to go win uh, not just one but multiple Super Bowls because he's a driven driven fellow like that. Looking at the rest of the the roster, as we start to zero in on some things, one thing that I had, and you can bring another one into it as well. One thing that that we were talking about before the show was this defensive backfield. If we don't come out of this season with a clear cornerback one that we want to bring back and have our starter and be not not a shutdown guy, uh, but a guy that you'll line up across from anybody. I think that guy, I think that guy is going to be Ronald Darby after this year. I think he has Pro Bowl potential. I think he's a solid starter right now. Got exposed a little bit against the Patriots. There's some things that he needs to work on, but he's still young. He did not have a healthy season, and I think his athletic profile is off the charts. And if he can make some improvements in the technique and the, in the processing area and, and not get caught out so much, uh, then, then I think he's going to have a very good season. It would be a failure to me if we're going into the playoffs and we can't trust our corners. If we're going into the offseason and we're going, I don't know who we want to retain because uh, nobody separated themselves. Sidney Jones didn't separate himself. Ronald Darby didn't separate himself. Jalen Mills didn't. Rasul Douglas we still don't know about. Like That kind of thing worries me because right now we're not paying a whole lot for that secondary we're paying very very little for that secondary and i'm okay with paying some with paying somebody if they're going to be a cornerback one i'm not okay with paying guys if we're not sure and we might have to if we get into a situation with depth where we where we don't know who we can trust and we just have to bring it back because we don't have the depth behind them i mean the same thing goes for uh safety with ronnie mcleod uh that situation needs to get sorted out because i have a strong feeling that he's not going to be back after this year so i think this is a huge Mm. season for him as well so success for him is proving that he's worth staying on the roster worth paying what is it the nine ten mil that's going to be owed to him next year when it's feasible financially for us to cut him and success also is Chris Marigos not spitting out champagne at the ring ceremony uh, next time there's champagne in his hand because my doppelganger and you put it on Twitter because he looks so much like me and people yeah. I showed it to two people at the bar that I was in after you posted it they thought I, I had gone to the ring ceremony. They didn't know it was that night. They thought it was me. I showed it to two people at work the next day. They both thought it was me. Hey, he looks a lot like you, man. Yeah, you've got those muscles. You got that Chris Marios build. But the, my, no, Ben, Ben, this hurt me. This, ben, you hurt you by proxy of that you hurt me because people thought that I was the type of person to waste alcohol. And I think if people knew me well enough and knew the real me, they would know that that was not possible. Right. That's why it was funny to me is because <laughs> I know that you, you know, a real man swallows his vomit when a lady is present. You don't know what that's from because you're uncultured. <laughs> but you would never. You know, lose alcohol like that. That, that you would never yeah. spit anything else like that. No, Kiss would throw it down and deal with the problems later. <laughs> Rodney McLeod, 2019, is due 9.9 million. And here's the rub 4.8 would go dead if he were cut, which is usually the number you're looking at is about 40% of the contract value at dead cap for teams to consider cutting a player right. and usually want to be much lower. That's closer to 50. So I'm not sure if McLeod is open for that cut. Now, when I look at this secondary, what I will say, Mike, 
is that Darby's the only one who's in a contract year, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Mills has two years left. Sewell and and, and uh, Sidney Jones are both going to have three years left, and then Maddox obviously is going to have four. And so they don't necessarily need to know who is the guy at which spot. They really just need to answer Darby. Yeah. They need to answer how much money is Ronald Darby worth to us? Do we have that money in the piggy bank? And then kind of a uh, a major contributing variable to that primary question, how much is Darby worth to us, is, well, what can we get out of Sidney Jones and Jalen Mills slash Russell Douglas right. on the outside of their two boundary corners? See, and that's, right? my, that's really – That's my problem. In my, in my scenario, they haven't – those guys, those other guys, if Darby hasn't separated himself to the point where we want to bring him back, that's a problem. If Compounding that fact is if Sidney Jones and Jalen Mills or Russell Douglas haven't separated to themselves to the point where we can go, well, Darby had a mediocre season. We can let him go. No problem. We've got this. If we're in a situation where, well, we're bringing him back because they're cheap and they're under contract. Like that, that, that more worries yeah. me. Right. So basically code red is, is Darby plays better than Mills slash Jones slash Douglas, but not so well that you want to extend him to a good size contract. Yeah. You know, like kind of that, that vacillating sweet spot there. No, I feel that. You know what I mean? I, when I look at, you know, a, a contract situation or a position group where there's a big success failure conversation. To me, it's the running back room. Mm. Uh, and it's Jay Ajayi yeah. as the contract guy, maybe playing that Rasul, or excuse me, that Ronald Darby role. Ajayi, what does a successful season look like for Jay Ajayi, right? This is what we talk about. Well, number one, how many touches is he going to get? There's no Garrett Blunt. There is Darren Sproles. How much does that impact how much a guy like, Jai touches the football. You know, it is difficult to figure out. I would say, you know, you're going to say now he's comfortably the primary ball carrier. I think you can say, you know, when it comes to just traditional running back handoffs, right? Those touches. But from a pass catching perspective, I don't think he's going to be anywhere near. He's third best, maybe, you know, depending on who the fourth running back is. But we're talking about a guy who, in terms of carries, you know, ended the season with, with, uh, 170. You know, 15 attempts against Los Angeles, 12 against New York, 14 against Oakland, uh, and then into the postseason, 15 against Atlanta, 18 against Minnesota, and then nine in the game against New England. So five out of six games over 10, you know, over nine or up, really. So, you know, a guy who was seeing 1B handoffs, you know, we're not talking, he's only seeing about two or three catches, or excuse me, about one or two catches, two or three targets a game. So we're talking about a, a 13, 14 touch per game player. Right, how much how much yardage is he going to be able to put on the field with that sort of a usage? Now, I've been I've been looking into this. There, there's I think that the the running backs are going to get more targets on first down that they got last year. They only had a 14 percent market share of targets on first down last year. The year before that, it was 20 percent. I actually expect them because they had a lot of success with it, especially in the playoffs where they I think averaged between Clement and Ajayi were at about 7.1 yards per per target. In the playoffs, they were very successful with it. They used it more. I would expect Ajay to get some more of those targets on early downs. And there is a void left by Garrett Blunt that is very easily filled by Jay Ajay being that first down guy. Being the first quarter guy, uh, they defaulted to Jay Ajayi in the fourth quarter when he when he came onto the team. He kind of split carries with Garrett Blunt at that point, and then you know everybody else was just doing whatever with their ancillary carries and whatnot. I think there is a significant uh, void that Jay can fill because you look at the Garrett Blunt and the Eagles were very inefficient running the ball within the five, five yards and in uh, at the goal line situations last year. Like Garrett Blunt had 12 carries and one touchdown inside the five. Jay Ajayi didn't see a single touch 
within the five. Now, the year, the two years previous at Miami, he converted five of 11 attempts with inside the five. He is going to get goal line touches. He is going to be a vulture. So I either think a thousand yards or eight touchdowns would signify that, that that would be a successful year for Ajayi. Here's the rub though, like you were mentioning. Do you bring that back? Yeah. So wait, wait. Did you write an article about this? A while ago. It was projecting something off of Mike Clay's projections, but the article uh, on filling okay. the, the LeGarrette Blunt void is something that I'm working on right now. That's why I was able to spit out all that all that nonsense. I was about time. to say, because I feel like I would have read this one because like <laughs> this is a big topic. I was like, I'm sorry I didn't read it, man. I always read your stuff. Uh, okay. I feel better as a friend now. Yeah. So you really <laughs> just summed up the conversation very nicely. I reacted to that over a thousand yards because we're talking about 400 rushing yards for Ajayi over the seven games, regular season games. He was with Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. He needs to be a thousand yard rusher. Uh, you know, obviously he came in, had a thousand yard season in his second season with Miami, a thousand two hundred. Very excited about his future in Miami. And then, you know, locker room things, Gase changing directions. He goes to Philadelphia to the, the 800-yard season, but maybe that's a mulligan because of the two-team thing, obviously the committee in Philadelphia. If he, like, it, it's it's not going to get easier for him in Philadelphia than I think this season. You've got an aging Darren Sproles, you've got the second-year Corey Clement, and you've got what is going to be second-year Donald Pumphrey or Matt Jones as a free agent ad or first-year Josh Adams. What's it going to be? After this season, when Darren Sproles, I, you would have, we, we said this last year, but he'll probably be gone. The Eagles are going to reinvest in that spot. And with Corey Clement being a very, very good receiver, I'd imagine they're going to invest in, in a guy who's more so of a, of, a, of a runner, right? Like if you project the running backs to be, which I do, Pumphrey, Sproles, Clement, and Ajayi, that's three really good receivers and Ajayi. Yeah. I don't foresee him getting a bigger market share of handoffs. If he were to stay with Philadelphia, then this season. Yeah. So if he's going to stay with Philadelphia, this needs to be the season he proves that when he gets that many handoffs, he can really make something of it. Even then, it's going to be tricky for him to get a long-term contract. But with the the trade away from Miami for potential, like you know, difficulty in the locker room a little bit, plus the knee situation, the team he's most likely to get another contract with is Philly because they're the ones who are going to have him in the locker room for two seasons, and it went well, and they're going to be able to understand his value. But he's got to prove it. So uh, yeah, I absolutely think he should be really, really grinding for that 1,000-yard mark. He should really be looking for fourth-quarter touches to grind out games. He's going to want that raw stat if he's going to be able to you know, get more money while he's still healthy. Big season for Ajayi. And I feel like the Eagles are going to be comfortable giving him that many touches because they're going to see how that knee is going to hold up, how everything holds up. And they're right. going to be studying him with the, with the analytics and the, and, the, and the player tracking and all that to see if there, there is some wear there now. Okay, so so how many how many handoffs for Ajayi then? So I had him at 170. I actually moved it up to 200 after the fact. So 200 yeah. would, would be my number. What do you think? If they give him 200 touches, he needs to average five yards per carry to hit 1,000. He has never averaged five yards per carry in a season. I don't think he's going to average five yards per carry. He's not, exactly. He's not, he's not, a fu- he, he, he's not he's going to break off the 10-yard-plus runs at a big enough rate. He never has. Uh, he, he's he's more of a, a three three four yards, and then every now and then he's gonna he's gonna bust one off, but not at that high level. I don't think he's gonna right. get five yards per carry. So I will say though, in if you split his 2017 season by Miami and Philadelphia, he averaged 5.8 yards at attempt in Philly. Yeah, that's true. So we got ourselves a conversation here. Is what I'm saying. If he's gonna be the fourth quarter closer, the average carry in the NFL for the first three quarters is about 0.4 higher for the Eagles. It, it was there, there was an extreme drop from the first three quarters to the fourth quarter. Just because teams are stacking the box, mm-hmm. you have a lead. They're stacking the box. They're expecting run. That is going to just 
naturally point. drop his yards it's per carry that point. way. So it's going to be tough for Ajay to get to get that. You can counterpoint this to death. Ajay's got a bad knee. You need him to be healthy. It's the fourth quarter. You got the game away. Run Clement. Yeah. Right? And so you, it's going to be really, really interesting to see what happens. Firstly, Ajay's got to be rooting very, very hard for Janelle Pumphrey to win that fourth job. Because Janelle Pumphrey is obviously the fewest handoffs of all the guys who could win job four. I think very clearly. And then Ajay needs to have a strong camp and say, listen, I can be one. I could be running back one in this committee and I can receive a couple of games where I get 20 plus carries. It's not something he saw last year from Philadelphia. Yeah. And that, so he's got to be able to prove that. And then he's going to make him count coming into the season. Big season for Ajayi. Success looks like 200 carries, a thousand yards. And we'll see what happens. We'll see if we bring him back, but ultimately we want him to be healthy for the playoffs and we want him to be at his best. So maybe grinding him down like that isn't the greatest idea when you have a guy like Corey Clement, who is very, very reliable uh, in that situation and is also a good receiver. And Darren Sproul, same thing. So we'll see how that goes. Ben, uh, do we have anything else as far as uh, what we're expecting from this season or you think we're good here? Uh, I mean, no. Like, Obviously, there's, there's a ton more you can do with this conversation. I'd love to talk about what we expect from Derek Barnett because second-year edge rushers tend to make a really big jump, but also Derek Barnett's stats last year lie to you, uh, which has been a take I've had for a while. <laughs> uh, I think conversation about expectations for Dallas Goddard is super cool. Uh, we can talk about what success looks like for him yeah. as the first-round you know, uh, pick for Philadelphia. I think a conversation about what does success look like for Jim Schwartz, who's been around head coaching conversations, Ooh. you know, has now won a Super Bowl with the Eagles. What does that look like? It's really cool. So there's a lot of different ones we can have. So certainly we can continue projecting the season moving forward. But as of right now, uh, this is the end of the episode. So thank you so much for listening to the Kisten Solak Show, uh, presented to you by the fine folks at BGN Radio. As always, I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. That's Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Don't follow me. Mike, we are three weeks away. From training camp. Woo. Just slowly, methodically pushing our way through. I'm excited, man. I'm getting ready for my, my move down to Philly for training camp. I'm starting to pack stuff up, you know, get ready, make some plans. So jealous. So, oh, man. I'm thrilled. It's going to be a lot of fun. But anyway, keep on listening to the Kist and Solak Show. Keep on listening to BGN Radio. Excited to continue bringing you fantastic off-season content as only we can do. Ben's going to end up in my basement. I'm going to wear his skin. I'm going to get his credentials, and I'm going to go to training camp. We all we got. Whoa! We all we Let's need. Let's talk more about this. Fly, Eagles, fly. Fly.